This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today I've got a special guest interview for you, and that is with Ryan Mickler. He is the host of the Order of Man podcast, and he is the author of the book Sovereignty, The Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Men. Now, guys, he and I do a lot of the same things, and so it's really cool to talk to somebody. We even look a lot lot alike. We got red beards and the whole nine, but it's really fun to have a conversation like this, and I'm going to tell you why. Because every time I do an interview, I'm going to give you a little peek behind the curtain. I always plan it out as if I'm going to have an hour and a half with, with this person. And I almost never do. I maybe get, you know, 45 minutes or, or 60 minutes or something like that. But I kind of plan it out because I can't always guarantee that the person I'm talking to is someone that I can really get something out of and put them in a particular direction or that we're going to be able to create something. Because again, I'm thinking of you guys. When I'm talking to these people, I want to make sure that this content is good for you, that you're going to enjoy it, that you're going to share it around, all those types of things. But I always have to prepare just in case somebody is just kind of a rote answer person. They're just going to kind of give you the answers and move on. This interview was nothing like that. If you could see my notes for this interview as you're listening along, you're going to be like, this is nothing like what you planned for. And that's what made it so awesome. And just as a quick aside, we had to do some adjustments with some of the things that we're doing in terms of the interview. So the audio is not perfect. I know you guys are going to give me crap for that later, but the audio on my end, the audio on his end is not perfect. It had to be boosted, had to be put through a couple of different things just so we could make sure that it worked. But I just wanted to make sure that this conversation got to you. So to all you audio files out there, just give me a little bit of a break on this one. Okay. In terms of the interview, we went into a lot of different directions. We talked about a lot of different subjects. You know, some of them are going to be a little bit on the political side. Some of it's going to be a little bit more on the familial, cultural side of things. I love his perspective and everything that we talked about. Guys, we're, we're definitely going to do this again at some point. So we will see if uh, the conversation can be kept going in that way. But guys, thank you so much for listening to this show. I'm so glad that you're here for it, but I'm not going to keep him from you any longer. Without further ado, let's get into it. Ryan Mickler, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Kyle, what's up, brother? I've been looking forward to this uh, conversation since we talked, what, a month ago on the phone. And uh, yeah, I think you and I are on a very similar path. So I I love having conversations like this with like-minded people who may not see everything the same, but we're all moving in the same direction. Well, I think that's the abundance mentality. And just to be honest, I struggle with that because I've been a competitor my entire life. And so I kind of have this, you know, clenched fist uh, mentality that I have to fight on a constant basis. But yeah, you and I are operating in a lot of the same areas. And we're going to get into those uh, concepts here in just a second. But basically, I have this standard with my podcast. Anyone that served in the military, I always like to start my interview there. Because for me, you know, I grew up in Lawton, Fort Sill. And so that's kind of something that I've carried with me as a regret that I never actually served in the military. My, my life path just didn't take me in that direction but for you individually what made you want to join the united states military (laughs) i wish i could tell you i had these like really noble ambitions of serving my country and going into battle guns ablazing but frankly i really didn't know what to do i had a couple of buddies who were joining the national guard um i thought i wanted to go to college i thought this would be a good way to pay for it and i'd always been patriotic i've always believed in our country i think service is valuable um, but it really wasn't anything more than that. So, I, you know, I know there's a bunch of guys and I've had them on the podcast and you have too. And I honor these guys who 
they've wanted to be Navy SEALs since the time they were three years old. And, yeah. uh, you know, they've envisioned themselves wearing the uniform. And I think that's rad. I'm just not that, that special. Uh, I did it for maybe some selfish reasons, but, you know, I learned a lot about being in the military through basic training, uh, through a active duty, uh, combat tour in Iraq in 2005, I was in Ramadi. Uh, so I learned a lot of the value of service after I had joined, uh, and it's translated perfectly over into the rest of my life. So I'm honored to be able to serve. I'm honored to be able to have worn the uniform and, and do what needs to be done. But you know, I, I'm not that special. Um, and uh, I wish I had I, I I wish I had a better story for you right there. <laughs> I really do. Right. I that's that's what I've told a lot of that's what I've told a lot of people. It's like, man, why do you want to talk to me? I wasn't Delta. I wasn't like tracking down like these these high value terrorists that were in the deck of cards or whatever. But you know, everyone kind of has their own story. But we're definitely not going to spend a lot of time here. But I do want to circle back to some of the other stuff with being in the military, being a veteran, and having that being part of your resume. When you look at what's going on right now, this is kind of getting into the political side where you see some you know, signals that the military is going woke and some of the things that they're doing in the academies, uh, some of the things that they're doing to make the military perhaps more inclusive and not as lethal. Um, when you look back as a veteran, I've talked to a lot of veterans that that don't really have a great view about the military and would be, they would have some consternation if they were still in the military today. What are your feelings on all that? Uh, it's, it's really frustrating. Let, let's rewind a little bit. So I went to basic training in 2000. It was either 99 or two. I, I want to say 2000, uh, right after high school. And when I went to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, which is an artillery school, uh, because that, that was my MOS 13 Delta. We were, if I remember correctly, and it's so weird to say, but this was over two decades ago. So I'm trying to jog my memory here. But if I remember correctly, we were the first uh, co-ed, basic training unit out of Fort Sill, Oklahoma. So mm. we had female drill sergeants. Uh, we had females, uh, soldiers who were, were training with us and it was rough, man. Like flat out. It was rough. Uh, it, you know, here's the interesting thing. And, and I'm trying to say this, you know, with respect, uh, I've never worried about offending people, but I'm trying to say this with respect. There is, there is a double standard. And when I joined the military, the standard was inferior for women. When it came to physical training, mostly physical training, it was an inferior standard. Now, if I'm in war or in the LEO community, if I need to be rescued from a burning building or I'm trapped in a car, I don't care if you're a man or a woman. I just want to know you can save my life. That's all sure, I want to know. Right. And I want to know that if the soldier, whether it's male or female standing next to me, is, is going to have my back is going to be proficient, is going to be trained. And when a female gets to participate at a lower standard, that's a problem. That's a problem. So we'd go on long road marches. Uh, I remember a 10-mile road march early, early in the morning. I don't know why I remember this, but probably because it was miserable. They woke us up early. We didn't have it planned. They said, hey, we're going for a road march, and it was 10 miles. Uh, and you know who we were waiting for? This, this little petite female who was a sweet, sweet woman, very nice, very kind. She was always helpful and courteous and respectful, but like we had to wait for her the entire time. It's like, well, this is mission critical. Like this is causing an issue. So, you know, you've got this feminist movement that, that is very selective on how it chooses to uphold these standards and the way that it looks at uh, uh, society in general. And it's like, okay, if you want to be like men, then we're going to hold you to that standard. Oh, well, 
how, how sexist of you. No, no, no. You're the one that said you wanted to be held to that standard. You're the one that said you're just as good as men at everything. And you're not. Now that doesn't diminish what women do. It doesn't diminish what they add to the, the equation and bring to the table. My wife is not as physically strong as me. I don't think any less of her. In fact, she does so many things around the house and raising our children and keeping the house a home and growing the garden and all these wonderful things she does that I could never do myself. So yeah, I, I, I think it's, um, I think it's, it's a detriment to the, to our fighting force. And you know, that that's just my own anecdotal story there. But if we fast forward now to 2021, <clears throat> we, we have higher leadership in the military and, and frankly, the military has been infiltrated by these, uh, these woke college systems, right? So you have these officers who have gone through this woke training over a period of 8, 12, 16 years, and now they've infiltrated the military, and uh, they're worried more about making people feel comfortable and making people feel good in their emotions than they are, like you said earlier, about the lethality of, of our fighting forces. And what a shame. But you know what? That's because we live in a relative ease right now. Everything's pretty good. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. yeah, I know there's the fallout from COVID and there's little skirmishes here and there. And, you know, we're pretty divided as a country, but really everything's pretty good right now. I was walking around the 50 acres of property that we have this morning. I got my fan cranking right now. I've got the technology. I've got the electronics. I'm not really worried about where my next meal is coming from. I'm pretty comfortable. And so we can worry about dumb shit like, uh, how people feel about their their gender or pick one, pick, pick a subject, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's disheartening. But I really think it's going to take some sort of catastrophic event, unfortunately, to wake us up from the reality that we're just we don't have anything real to worry about. So we make up dumb things to fret over. Now, I'm with you. And I, recently, I talked to Mike Ritland about the situation that was going on in Afghanistan. And I asked him a question. I was surprised by his answer. But the question was basically like, if we did have another 9-11, do you feel like the the country would coalesce together like it did on 9-12-2001? And he said, absolutely, yes. And I, I disagree with him on that. And I, you know, I'm going to be talking about that with him a lot further. But there's so much divisiveness now compared to where we were 20 years ago. And hearing that story about you and kind of, I know it's anecdotal from 20 years ago, that's not the least bit surprising. However, I would think that cooler heads would prevail at some point and say, okay, okay, we're actually going to war now. So we can't have this lady out there. Like, I think I remember the story about the two women that made it through, I think it was ranger school, but when they were actually put out into the field, they couldn't hack it. And they were the ones that were pulled, they pulled themselves out. And again, this isn't about hating women. It's about the roles of women and men in society, which the lines on that are being completely blurred all the time, which I think dovetails into kind of what you and I do a lot with our all day, every day. And it's the overall concept of manhood, but I know why it's interesting and important to me, but for you specifically, if, if it goes back to your childhood, we can start there. If it goes back to something you experienced as an adult, but why does the overall concept of manhood, masculinity, and the things therein become such an interest to you? I, I will answer that question, but I wanted to touch on something that you said. You, you, you talked about our roles as men and women. I actually don't even think it's about that. I mean, I, yeah. I believe there are roles. So a lot of people will say, you know, traditional gender roles is a term you hear and people has, has a negative connotation to it, right? But and, and what people will say is, well, they're, they're societally constructed. That isn't true. They're biologically constructed. And then they're supported societally for good reason. They work. And again, to go back to what I just said, it isn't until the relative ease of modernity that we've actually been able to call into question the roles in which we play. 
So, but it's not about the roles. It's just about the effectiveness period. Like forget about the roles, forget about the labels, forget about all the stuff that we do because that brings in other, other thoughts and negativity and, and all this stuff. Like just, let's just talk about the effectiveness. If a woman was just as effective in military combat as a man, great. All, all for it. Like, I I don't care. It doesn't bother me. I just, I want to be able to fight. I want to be able to protect our country. Uh, if you're in the LEO community, I, I, I want whoever's going to respond to that intruder breaking into my house to be able to respond effectively, you know, or like, how's it, how's a woman who's five, five, uh, you know, 120 pounds going to subdue a six, five man who's 240 pounds. Like, tell me in what universe that's going to happen. I don't right. Care especially for first teaser shot anymore. misses. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then you, you have people who are like, well, police brutality and they're going to shoot. Well, a, a woman who's five, five, who who's giving up a hundred pounds and all that that's strength, her only option. She use her firearm. Yeah. A man who maybe is, you know, a guy who's 6'4", 6'5", 250 pounds is a big man. You know, I'm 5'10", I weigh about 190, 195 pounds. You know, so like I, I've still got a disadvantage, but I, I can carry my own, right? At least I, I'm trying to stack the odds to some degree. I might not need to fire that lethal shot. I may be able to subdue him with some jujitsu that I may have learned over past, you know, three or four years, right? So I don't care about the roles. I really don't. I care about effectiveness. Now, the reason we have roles is because we've generally as a society identified what is effective and what isn't. And having men fighting, having men be in law enforcement, having men in these types of positions that require strength, physical strength and stamina endurance is is generally going to be more effective for men. Now, look, there's some women like you see these these women who perform in uh, elite levels of like CrossFit or the Olympics. They'd run circles around me in physicality, you know, but that that's the exception, not the rule. Uh, your question was what drew me to this, this masculinity movement. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I was raised primarily by my, my mother. Uh, I had some stepfathers coming into my life, not a really great example of what it meant to be a man through the role, role models I had. So my, my mom raised my sister and I primarily on her own. And I didn't have that great example of what it meant to be a man, but you know, what's really interesting. I thought about this a lot over the past several years my mom understood that she was a little deficient in raising a boy. Not that she was bad at it, not that she wasn't capable of doing it, but she realized that there was a, a deficiency. There was a gap and it wasn't an indictment against her. It was like, I'm a woman. My son's going to be a man. Like, I don't know how to do this. And to my mother's credit, she got me heavily, heavily involved in competitive sports because she knew that I needed the role model and the influence of other men who weren't necessarily in my life. And I remember vivid moments in my life where I would be struggling with, you know, a coach's decision to pull me or to cut me from the team and both have ha had happened. Uh, and I would ask my mom and I'd say, Hey, you know, mom, like what, like what, what's going on? Hoping she would come in and rescue me. And you know what she always said? She said, go talk to your coach. Hmm. Go talk to him. I don't know. Go talk to him. And, and I bet she had her own thoughts and ideas of why that was the case. And she probably wanted to rescue me and save me from these big, bad coaches. But she always had enough restraint and enough information or just like care of me that she got out of her own way and she got me involved with other men. And so I didn't really have this strong presence of, of manliness and maleness in my, in my home. Uh, and it really didn't manifest itself until I started having kids and I got married and um, man, I struggled 
you know, my wife and I went through a separation. We had a one-year-old son at the time and I, I just struggled. I just didn't know how to show up. I didn't know how to harness my emotions. I didn't know how to lead effectively in the home or grow my business. And I, I don't think this is an abnormal thought. I think a lot of guys are feeling this. So I really want, went on a journey of, you know, self-discovery and like, how do I really do this thing called manliness? Uh, and so I started listening to podcasts and reading books and being surrounded by mentors in my business. And, and as I started talking about the issue as I, that I was going through with my family and my business, so many other guys were like, yeah, I've had that issue or I grew up without a dad or I had a divorce or a separation with my wife and I'm dealing with these things. And I thought, you know, there's really probably something here. So in 2015, I started a podcast. I actually pivoted from a podcast that I had with my financial planning practice that I owned and started talking about masculinity and manliness. And it blew up, Kyle, it blew up from day one. And I realized very quickly we were onto something. So that was in March of 2015. And we've been on the gas pedal for the past six and a half years now. We're not letting off anytime soon because I see how valuable this work is for men who are in similar situations and similar boats and haven't yet figured it out. Yeah. And that's the thing that I've, I've actually seen and I've felt some resistance in the stuff that we do, Ryan, is that if you talk about masculinity, that that is somehow inherently toxic. It's like this cultural phenomenon that focusing on masculinity, expecting boys to develop into men is somehow hurting them, right? Because people have been hurt by masculinity and so they just want to get rid of it. And so I'm curious about some of the resistance that you've seen since 2015, since you've been talking about this, because the cultural revolution has just kept on a pace from, you know, from 2015 to 2021, it's gotten worse and worse for people that want to focus on these things. And you're called a bigot if you think there's a difference between the sexes. So what types of things have you ran into? Honestly, man, I don't get a lot of pushback. I, I really don't. You know, I, sometimes I draw attention to it because I think it's important that we talk about it. Uh, I made a post yesterday about some troll, you know, talking with me and my response back. And I had a bunch of people say, oh, why do you entertain that? I'm like, I don't entertain it for that guy. I entertain it for you guys so that you can see what it's like to actually stand up for what you believe in because we have so many cowards in, in society today. But so I draw attention to some of that stuff. But honestly, the amount of pushback that I get is like 0. 0.00001 of the engagement that I have. Most people, men and women, believe wholeheartedly in what we're doing. Now, some might see it different, and, and, I, and I don't take that as a challenge. I take that as some level of cooperation. Somebody might think, well, you know, masculinity is important, but the way you're talking about it isn't entirely accurate. Cool, let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. Like As long as we're rowing in the same direction, we all want to be better men, then let's do it. Uh, but I, I really don't get a lot of pushback. Uh, men enjoy what we're doing. Uh, in fact, I, most of the pushback I receive comes from men because they don't see it the same way that I do. And so they're like, well, this is, you know, this is too black and white or what, like what they, what they're saying really is that they don't check the boxes that I see. And that, and that's okay. Like, I'm not saying I'm the epitome of masculinity or that I have the perfect definition by all objective standards is what we should be striving for. Uh, I, I'm really on the path just like any other man. But the majority of women that I talk with and, and anywhere, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or listening to the podcast or any of our platforms, you're probably going to have 15-ish to 20 maybe percent of our audience is female. And the overwhelming majority of those women believe wholeheartedly in what we do. They support it. They, they share it. They, they live it themselves. Uh, and, and women who listen to what we're doing usually fall into one of two camps primarily. Uh, number one, they want their husband to listen to it, right? So they've got their husband who may be struggling with alcohol or drugs or addiction or pornography or 
just sedated or living an inferior life. So that's one camp. The second camp is women who are raising boys on their own, who don't know how to do it, just like my mother didn't, and are trying to figure out how to give these young men the tools and the resources and conversations they need. So they turn to what we're doing, hoping that I might drop some some wisdom or knowledge or information that would serve them and their children, their young men well. Uh, so yeah, I don't I don't really get into the whole like, oh, what resistance and you know, yeah, sure. There's there's some people who think I'm a misogynistic or that I'm sexist or, you know, whatever. But, um, I really try to tune that stuff out because there's 99.999999% of people who really believe in what we're doing and see the value of having strong, ambitious, courageous, virtuous men operating a society today. Yeah, man, I'm with you. And, and I don't typically engage people uh, either whenever they leave reviews or negative comments or something like that, because these are people that want to throw poop, right? They, they don't want to actually sit down and have a conversation because if someone's willing to have their mind changed, I'm down to sit with that, sit down with that person. But I love the point that you're making about how women are into what we're doing as well, because I've experienced the exact same thing. Women that are, you know, giving this to their husbands. I've got, uh, you know, someone came to mind when you were talking, and that's Michelle Black. Her husband was killed over in Niger. Uh, he was a, a Green Beret that was killed over there, and they have two young boys. And all of a sudden here she is raising these boys, but she's letting them listen to my podcast and taking them to these men's camps where they've, they've got mentors that can kind of be around them. It's so unbelievably important. And we live in this age and era where somebody in your phone, right. And in your headphones can actually mentor you directly. And that's, that's a really, really fun thing to do. But one thing that I'm curious about Ryan for you is in doing the podcast for as long as I've done, I felt like I've gotten better at my own opinions. And it's been cathartic for me at different times whenever I can go and kind of talk about a topic as opposed to trying to find someone that's up to speed on it. For you, what have you learned from putting the podcast together? Because you've put out several hundred episodes. It's been doing very well for a very long time. But what are some of those core life lessons that you've learned just from being a podcaster? The first one that comes to mind is just consistency. You know, I'm not uniquely talented or or amazing or incredible at anything, really. <laughs> like I've always been, yeah, I'm, I'm decent. I'm somewhat intelligent, um, somewhat athletic, but you know, maybe the higher end of average, I would say, <laughs> but n- nothing, nothing to write home about. Uh, so I don't have the luxury of, of, uh, wealth of, um, a network of some sort of God given talent that other people might have access to. Uh, but I'm, I can be consistent, you know, and, and, and I can, I can get involved in something and stay involved forever. And that's the value of what we've been able to do. Uh, we started in March of 2015. We've done, I believe, 815 podcasts or something around there over the past six and a half years. Uh, and I haven't missed a single episode, not one, in six and a half years. That's three episodes per week with a family of, of six, uh, with travel, with my own activities and hobbies and interests, with my own set of challenges that pop up periodically and we haven't missed a single episode and that's what it's required. You know, if you want to be successful in life, you're going to have to find a way to be consistent and keep your head in the game for a very, very long period of time, especially when you don't have that talent or you don't have that, that network, you don't have that wealth. Uh, And I'm not diminishing that. Look, if I had the wealth, I I would tap into that. If I had the abundance or the network or, or the God given talents, like you bet your ass, I would use that. And uh, I do use what talents I have and I know how to maximize them. But consistency has been the biggest thing for me to uh, achieve the level of success that we have. That's usually when people ask me for advice on on podcasting, that's that's always the first thing I tell them. It's like, if you're not willing to do this, 
Like, cause you know, people that do seasons, they're not doing seasons because that's their plan. They're doing seasons because they're like, okay, I don't really want to do this podcast for the next couple of months. Like there's some people that actually do that. And it's like, Hey man, you just got to nose to the grindstone, regardless of what happens, you've got to put something out there because people depend on you. Like if your stuff releases every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, people are expecting that. Right. And when it's not there, or if it's not there, it becomes a major issue for them. So you said you've done, you know, over 800 podcasts and you've had a lot of guests on your show. And, you know, there's, you know, the prominent ones that people would know, the Ben Shapiro's and Jocko Willings and all that, and that's all good. But is there an interview that comes to mind that might be a little bit obscure? Some, you know, someone who maybe doesn't have an enormous profile, someone that hasn't sold a couple of million books or something like that, but somebody that you talk to and you're like, man, they surprised me. They blew me away. Is there, is there something like a kind of diamond in a rough there? And it's such a hard question because, again, we've done probably of those 800 and plus episodes, probably 350 of them or so are interview episodes. So 350 guys that we've interviewed who are all successful in their own right. Um, a couple of guys that come to mind are, I would say, uh, John Eldridge is certainly somebody who comes to mind. He's the author of Wild at Heart. You're probably mm-hmm. you're shaking your head. So I think you're probably familiar with him. Uh, I've talked with him a couple of times. Uh, That book was transformative for me, like literally transformed my life. Uh, Another one that comes to mind is is Ethan Suplee. Uh, He's, he's, uh, he's an actor. Um, He's, he's kind of known for being the heavy, you know, fat, fat guy in the, in the movie. Mm. Uh, But he's really transformed his life and he's become strong and fit. And he's talking about that uh, on his, his podcast. Um, American Glutton is his podcast. Like those are two that come to mind that a lot of people just wouldn't think of right offhand that there was just some real, but look, I, I hesitate to even answer that question because what, what I think people do is like, Oh cool. I'm going to go to that podcast and they're going to skip everything else. And, and my theory is that if you just listen, like I could walk down the street and I could find a homeless man on the street and I can ask him about his life and I guarantee I can extract value from his life. I guarantee it. So it's not about who the guest is. Now, look, we're, you and I are playing the game, right? And it is a game. So I got to have Ben Shapiro on. I got to have Dan Crenshaw. I got to have Jordan Peterson. I got to have Jocko. Like, I got to have these guys on because that's what people recognize. But you know what? If you actually listen with, with an open heart and an open mind, you can learn from anybody. And even if it's just taking one thing, that's why I think books and conferences and podcasts and, these, and courses and these types of things are so important. Because if you walk away with one little bit of knowledge, one little new way of looking at things or one new little piece of information that might be, it might not seem like a big deal, it could radically alter your life. So if we're always looking for, oh, well, what's, you know, David Goggins, you know, he was on Ryan's podcast. So I want to listen to the David Goggins episode. You should listen to that episode, but you should also listen to John Sullivan, you know, like this, like the random ordinary guy who actually has some real life wisdom to share. And if you come with it with an open mind and an open heart, you're going to find valuable resources, information in whoever you're listening to. Yeah, I agree with that. And I forget who said it, but it was something along the lines of, let's say you're a very, very well-known musician. And let's say you have 5 million fans. Well, that's a lot of fans, but there's 8 billion people on the planet. And so I feel like every few months I uncover somebody that is wildly, wickedly famous in their line of work or in their niche 
And I had no idea this person even existed. And so that's of some of the wisdom that you're talking about. Like you might just, oh, I don't know this person's name. It doesn't just pop off the page to me or off the screen and you just skip it. But yes, there are wisdom and there are nuggets that you can pull from everybody that you could possibly think of. But to kind of go back even into your show, everyone kind of has their aspirational thing. Like, hey, here's my Mount Rushmore of people that I would want to have on my show. And you've had a lot of those people on. But if you could talk to anybody that's currently on the planet, someone that's alive that has not been on your show before, but that you feel like you would have a really, really good conversation with, if I had to peg you down to one person, who do you think you would want to talk to? Uh, I would really want to talk to Keanu Reeves. <laughs> like, I'm okay, su- John I'm Wick. Su- there you go. Yeah, bro. No, not even John Wick. Keanu Reeves. Like, I'm <laughs> just Keanu super- Reeves. John Wick's a he's a, he's he's imaginary. He's not real. Like, it's easy to it's easy to be a badass when you get to redo scenes and. Uh, you know, have everything choreographed in this perfect situation. I'm not taking anything away from the John Wick movies. I actually enjoy them, but I don't want to talk with John Wick. I want to talk with Keanu Reeves. John Wick doesn't exist, you know, So, but that's what we do. We're like, oh, do I want to be like John Wick? I want to be like James Bond. That's like, okay, well, that'd be awesome, but your life isn't a movie and you don't get to do retakes and all this kind of stuff. Right. It's not choreographed and people don't know their lines. When you say this, they don't, you know, and you have a team of people telling you what sounds cool and what looks cool. That, that's easy. I want to talk with Keanu Reeves because that guy's fascinating. You know what I mean? Like he's, uh, he seems like he, he is very dedicated to his craft. Obviously he's very successful at his craft. Um, he, he's, he's fully vested, but then also in light of what you see a lot of actors do where they want to be in the public eye and they want to be in the space and they want all the notoriety and attention. Like you don't really see that from Keanu Reeves. And that's kind of fascinating to me. Like he goes and does his work and he does it very well. He's obviously a professional. Uh, and then he just goes, and I was going to say retreat, but it's not retreat. He just goes and lives his life and does what he needs to do. And he seems like a pretty humble guy. I don't know him, but he seems like a humble guy. He seems like he wants to be a good person and do right and good. Uh, and then he's very, uh, obviously very successful and, and a professional in his, in his career. So that, that's like my number one guy right now that I want to talk with. Okay. Well, the next time I see him, I'll be sure to drop your name down and say, Hey, uh, this guy wants to talk to you, Neo. I call him Neo because we're old friends. Uh, but the thing that's, that's cool about what you've done with your, your show, you had your show for several years and then you decided to put out a book. So it's a book called sovereignty, the battle for the hearts and minds of men. You released that back in 2018. So about three years into your whole podcasting career. And we're not going to do a super deep dive because guys go buy the book. It's in the show notes. You can buy it, read it for your damn self. But you, you go into the concept that you talk about a lot, which is protect, provide, and preside. But then you also get into a code of conduct section. So I'm going to talk about both of those, but let's go back to the three P's. So protect, preside, and preside. If uh, Provide and preside, actually. If you wouldn't mind giving our viewers just kind of a sense as to why you pulled those things out. Because a lot of these men's things, they try to do something pithy, but protect, provide, preside. That's right in the core of what men need to be doing. But from your perspective, why are those the three things that men should be focusing on? Well, number one, we're biologically hardwired to step into those callings. So we were talking earlier about traditional masculine roles. Uh, There's a great book called Manhood in the Making by David Gilmore. Have you read that book? I haven't read it yet. It's on my book list though. It's on, it's on a list of books that I'm about to read. Yeah. You should read that one. It's, it's, it actually is a little clunky and cumbersome and hard to get through, but it's, it's very telling. So what this gentleman did is he researched different, uh, cultures and tribes and people throughout much of history. And he found a common thread, uh, between the way these tribes and cultures, uh, viewed manliness and masculinity. And a lot of these cultures had not even been introduced to each other. 
-hmm. but he found some common themes between the way that all of these tribes and cultures view uh, men, masculinity and manliness. And what he found is that the majority of, of cultures will look at men as protectors, providers. And the third component that he used was procreate, that men are to pro- procreate. I don't, I don't totally agree with that because to procreate, it takes two. So procreation alone isn't, isn't just manliness, right? Like it, it, it's not a masculine, heavily weighted towards masculinity. Like the females are involved in the process. So yeah. I think he was off on that, you know? And so now look, some men believe that it's some sort of sexual conquest, but it's not really, that's not procreation that they're after. It's after a sexual conquest. It's different. Like I, I won the woman, right? That's different than I had a child. So I, I disagree with that, but I do agree with the protect and the provide. And as I was reading this book and I've read a lot of other books, hundreds and hundreds of books about manliness and masculinity, I think the common theme that you're going to find there instead of procreation is to preside, to lead. Uh, so when we were, we were talking earlier about traditional gender roles, that's, that's what you're going to see. Men are the protectors. Men are the providers. Men preside. So last night I had a really interesting experience. It was probably, I don't know, maybe 2 a.m. And my wife like like yells. in Like we're both sleeping and she yells. She's like, ah! And she yells. And I wake up and all I see is her kind of like flailing a little bit and then a figure on the other side of the bed. And so I got up like fast and I was rearing back to like start punching. And my wife's like, oh, 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 it's just Eli, which is our second son. It's just Eli. It's just, just relax. It's just Eli. But I was ready. Like I was raring and ready to go. And if she wouldn't have stopped, I probably would have punched him. Not, <laughs> not, not of any ill will, but just out of my natural desire and inclination to protect my woman, my wife. So there's, there's roles that we play. And I'm not saying that women are incapable of leading. I'm not saying that women can't provide. They certainly can. But I feel like the better that we as men can embrace these traditional roles, and they're only traditional because we're biologically hardwired to step into these roles, the more fulfilled and satisfied we'll be. So if you look at the people who are, the men specifically, who are having the hardest time in life, they're depressed, they're anxious, potentially suicidal, they don't, they don't know how to step into these roles. And the discrepancy, and I call it the integrity gap, the gap between the way they view themselves and the way they're actually performing. The larger that gap, the larger the depression, despair, anxiety, and even suicidal tendencies. Uh, so we should be stepping into those roles. We should be protectors. We should be physical. We should be training. We should be uh, acquiring the tools, whether it's firearms or, uh, or, or even the skill set to be able to protect. Provide is financial provision. It's the, it's the spiritual provision that we as, as leaders of the household are to be providing and securing for our family. Uh, preside. We should be courageous and bold and assertive and, and lead with virtue and honor. And like, these are the things that we do. And the more that a man, a man can step into those roles, the more fulfilled, satisfied, and successful, frankly, he'll be. That's when we shirk those responsibilities do we start to feel like shit. And we should. We should because we're not doing what we're called to do as men. And that's the funny thing. Like I just got through reading a book uh, yesterday, which I'll leave nameless, but I'm doing a debate on a radio show in the UK here soon. And 
again, me and this guy have the same worldview, but he doesn't feel the same way that you and I do about these different roles. Because here's one thing that I know at two o'clock in the morning, when you got up and you're ready to destroy what was there, potentially, you know, having a negative impact on your wife, you weren't thinking about gender roles and gender stereotypes. You weren't thinking about cultural definitions of what a masculine man is or something like that. There was just time to react. So it's almost like there's some sort of genetic component. There's some sort of biological component that would make us respond in a certain way. And yeah, I've heard about that book so many times and that's, that's uh, going to be my other motivation to go ahead and finally read that. Because again, when you look at these people that are across cultures that don't understand one another, everybody wants to talk about how men in France 400 years ago used to wear, you know, frilly shirts as like, oh, you know, culture is, or masculinity is culture driven, which doesn't make any sense. It's such a stupid argument. Actually, I want to get your opinion on that. I'll, I'll, I'll skip the stuff that I was going to talk about in a second. When people talk about how gender or how, you know, masculine codes and feminine codes or something like that, it is culturally bound. Right. So this culture doesn't think, look at it the same way. This culture, men walk down the street holding hands and kiss each other on the lips, you know, and they're not gay, like that type of a thing. What do you think when people make arguments like that? Because a book like, you know, Manhood in the Making would be, you know, in direct contrast to that. No. It's just a, like you said, it's a ridiculous argument. Style, you're talking about style. Okay. Style changes. Right. Alexander the Great was one, and, and, and I've read a little bit on this because you and I have both have beards. Alexander the Great was one of the first historical men that he he was by by most accounts homosexual but he was one of the first men to be completely shaven and so he transformed because he was so powerful and what he did was so incredible that people looked at that and said okay well that's the new cultural norm your facial hair bro has nothing to do with your masculinity now, we have facial hair because we're men, so that's developed through the hormones that are coursing through our body, but it really doesn't – so I guess I should say it this way. It has to do with your masculinity because it's biologically hardwired. It has nothing to do with your man, level of manliness. Sure. <laughs> like I know some genuine badasses who choose not to have a beard or can't grow a beard, frankly. Right. Right? It has nothing to do with that. Uh, people say, like you just said, oh, well, in four, 400 years ago in France, they were really wearing frilly shirts. Right, because clothes don't define the man. You know, in Scotland, they wear skirts, literal skirts. Now they call them kilts, but they're skirts. So does that mean they're less manly? No, because it's just clothing. All right. Now, what what you and I wear, there's a, a good friend of mine. His name is Tanner Guzzi. Uh, do you know Tanner? No, I don't. Oh, I should introduce you. He's okay, really cool. really interesting thinker on on these kind of things. Like styles change, right? The, the way that we look, the way that we do our hair, sometimes long hair is the thing to go. Sometimes short hair, sometimes a beard, sometimes not. Sometimes we wear plain t-shirts, you know, sometimes we wear something different. Like styles change. But again, just because in 400 years ago, they were wearing frilly shirts, like you were saying in France, doesn't mean that they weren't protecting. They were warriors. Doesn't mean they weren't providing. Doesn't mean they weren't leading. That's what defined them as men, not what they wear. Now, Let's let's flip this on a head on its head a little bit. You have guys like uh, Harry Styles and some of these other notable influencers and entertainers who are wearing clothes, and they're like, "Well, style doesn't define the man." But they're not doing it because they don't think style defines the man. They're actually doing it to rebel. That's what they're trying to do, right? Right? They're they're wearing dresses because they're trying to rebel, not against cultural norms, but they just want people to pay attention to them. But if I stripped all of that away, if all of us were naked. Let's just say nobody wore clothes at all. We were all naked. You could strip masculinity and manliness down to those three principles, protect, provide, preside. Now, what you want to wear or whatever, I don't care. But if you're doing those three things, man, 
you're on that path to manliness. But again, let's not pretend that the guys who are wearing dresses and putting makeup on guys have been putting makeup on for forever. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like the, the native American Indians and even further back used to put paint on their face to intimidate enemies. Right. And now you have even 30, 40, 50 years ago, you have uh, entertainers who are putting makeup on to rile people up, to, to make themselves look different, to get attention. But masculinity, man, that doesn't change at all. Outward appearance. Sure. Maybe, but not masculinity and manliness. So you're saying it doesn't change, and I agree with you. However, we, we got to talk about this, and this might be old news by the time this podcast comes out. I'm blowing up my entire interview here, but this is going well. So I saw yesterday from BBC that the new Superman is going to be bisexual, right? So I guess this is – I'm not big on comic books, but I guess Clark Kent's son now who goes by John Kent or, or something like that. He's going to have a love interest. That is a reporter, kind of like Lois Lane, but the reporter is a man. And so he's going to be having a male love interest, but he's technically bisexual. Also, he's Superman, which is an inherently bigoted name, right? Why don't they call him Super They? I mean, wouldn't that make a whole lot more sense? But at the same time, for you, doing what you do every day, this is a full frontal assault on masculinity because this is Superman. This isn't some fringe character in some fringe series that only 14 people read. This is Superman. This is the original superhero, right? What do you think about things when you see that? Because again, like I said, that's a full frontal attack on what masculinity is because yeah, you made the point about Harry Styles wearing a dress. When you walk by at the, you know, the grocery store counter, that's going to jump off the page because it's a dude wearing a dress. But when a woman's wearing a dress, nobody thinks anything about it, but those are kind of little things, right? Those are little bitty shots taken here or there, but Superman, I mean, what do you think about all that? I don't care if Superman is bisexual or straight. I, I don't care. I really don't. I don't care. It's not. I, I look, I know it's easy to, and I, I see these guys like, Oh, we're going to take a, like, just don't go watch the movie, you know? And, and, ta- and instead raise your son instead, go coach a baseball team instead lead men to act more manly. Like we get so wrapped up in the, 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 the culture of, of entertainment and celebrities that we forget, like your son's looking to you about how to behave. Like, Okay, so you're worried about Superman, but like when's the last time you went and played catch with your son? And I'm not calling you out specifically. I'm saying that the people that get wrapped up in this stuff, should he be bi? I don't know. I don't care. Superman's not a man at all. In fact, he's an alien. But but he's not even a man. Like, let's take manliness. All right, so one element of manliness is courage. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Is Superman courageous? What do you think? Yes or no? Yeah. I think no. Okay. You're not courageous. Nothing could kill him. Yeah, like that's the problem they had back in the day. Is they they were like, okay, this dude's changing the trajectory of the planet, and the the you know uh, he's got to have something that can kill him. He's not that interesting anymore. Right. I mean, yeah, he's got kryptonite for sure. But like, like, oh, so he's gonna go, you know, knock out a couple of thugs that you know he could he could run circles around. Like, is that courageous? No, it's not courageous. It, like, there's not a risk for him. What is courageous is having a risk, having a risk of loss financially, physically, maybe even your life, and yet deciding to act. Superman isn't courageous. Bat- Batman maybe is courageous. Like he's a human being. Like he can die. He can get hurt. He has people he loves. Like there's 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 things that could potentially he's got he's got vulnerabilities and yet he decides to act. And that's what courage is. 
right? So again, I think we're getting a little sidetracked here, but yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot that would distract us. You know, Superman's by the next James Bond is a woman. The next, this is that look, man, just go play catch with your kid. Like just go coach the football team. Just, just share what it means to be a man. Get, get 20 of your best buddies or five of your best buddies and, and have fight night this weekend. And instead of just watching the fights, like talk about real shit, you know, go, go on a workout, go on a hunt, invite men to rally together, come to one of our events, come to one of your events, listen to our podcast, shoot somebody a text because you like this podcast and let's stop worrying about Superman and James Bond. You know, if you have a problem with that, here's, here's how we fix this, by the way, you don't want Superman to be by, you don't want James Bond to be a woman. Don't buy the effing ticket to go see the show. You don't want the NFL to be woke. Stop fucking buying their season tickets. You morons. You know, everybody likes to complain and cry and bitch and moan and this is horrible and make a big deal out of it. And yet you still have Netflix. You still have Disney Plus. You still have your season tickets to the, to the NFL. You still buy every movie that you can. You still support these bands. You still support these entertainers. You still celebrate these politicians. And yet you complain and you bitch and you moan. So what does that tell me? It tells me you care more about bitching and moaning and complaining and griping than you actually do solving the situation. Like stop paying these people. You know, if nobody goes and sees the new bisexual Superman, guess what? How many more Supermans are going to be bisexual? Zero. Zero. That's right. Because they don't care about culture. You know what they care about? The bottom line. So if you impact the bottom line, you know, with the NFL, with all these players kneeling and sitting down and all this kind of woke bullshit, uh, the, the name, the, the latest one is, what's that Raiders coach who made a couple John of Gruden. racist comments? Yeah. Gruden made a couple of comments 10 years ago, racist comments. I'd say they're racist comments, but you know what? Gosh dang, like, if you have an issue, like, let's stop talking about it. Just stop buying the tickets. And enough people do that, and we vote with our dollars, then the trajectory changes. Nobody cares about the thing. Nobody really cares about the thing. What they care about is their bottom line. You start impacting that, things will change. When I tell people a lot, control the controllables. And so I know I know a lot of people that, I'm glad you, you went the route you did with that, with that question. They get outraged at what happens on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. They're absolutely outraged and flabbergasted and they want to call their their local representative and all these different things and I get it. But they have no idea the name of their mayor of their city. They don't know their sheriff. They don't know the name of the dog catcher. They don't know any of these people that can have a direct impact on their life today, like in the next few minutes, right? And so you spend all this time distracted by the stuff that's going on somewhere else and you forget about what's going on in your own household, in your own neighborhood, in your own small community. And I do encourage guys to make sure that they know these things that are going on because those things may be happening over there now, but they're happening in your community the next day. So you need to be ready and prepared to push back against that darkness. But I agree, a lot of men are just not they're willing to fight the battles that have no, that they can't control at all. Like people were shocked whenever I canceled Netflix after the cuties movie came out. And I was like, you're shocked. Like this is child pornography on a main. No, I'm not going to give them $15 a month. What are you talking about? And my life has not gone down in quality one bit in the year, year and a half since I got rid of Netflix. I've read more books. I've done a lot more other things, but we find these things that we just can't fathom not having as a part of our life. Um, and as we kind of wind down here towards the end, I, I think it's important to really talk about things that you've done specifically with your time, right? So you're not wasting time with maybe the NFL or Netflix or something like that. You've gotten into hunting, you've gotten into jujitsu, but I specifically want to ask you about jujitsu because I try to get basically every man that's able-bodied to get into jujitsu. And I get the normal excuses like, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt or I don't know anything about that or I never wrestled back in the day. But for you specifically, 
what got you into jujitsu? And even beyond that, what is keeping you there? Because there are dudes that try it for three, four months and then they never go back. What has kind of kept you on the grind of jujitsu? Let me talk about the excuses. Like I've never done it. I'm too old. I'm, I'm injured. I, you know, I've, I, I'm worried about I'll, that. I'll get hurt. Like all of those are valid, <laughs> which is why they're your excuses. Because if your excuse didn't have some sort of validity, you wouldn't be able to bullshit yourself into believing your excuses. Like they have to have some element of truth to it, but you have to realize that those are just excuses. And also there is a risk. Oh, I might get hurt. Yeah, actually you might. Like you might do something dumb. We had, we had a, one of our guys, Ty Nichols. He's uh, we, I train with him every day. He works with origin. He's a purple belt. He's an absolute killer. Well, you know, uh, six months or a year ago, he, he, uh, he got swept or rolled or something and he put his arm down and he hyper extended his arm and you know, he was out for four months. You know, it was, it was a, it was a stupid mistake that he made and you know, he paid for it. So yeah, there's an element of risk, but we already talked about risk, right? There is an element of risk. And if there's no element of risk, it's probably not worth doing. You know, if you want to start a business, you're going to have to take some risk. You're going to have to cut away from your current work. You're going to have to try to sell something. Uh, you're probably going to have to pay a few bills on some savings. Like there's a risk as it should be. There should be a risk to it. But with jujitsu specifically to answer your question, the reason I got into it um, was that uh, I had a friend, I had a couple of friends, Matthew Arrington and Kip Sorensen talking to me about it for, for a very long period of time. And I've always wanted to get involved in it. I was pretty athletic when I was a kid. Uh, and then I had, uh, my friend Pete Roberts with origin, uh, invite me out to their week long jujitsu camp here in Maine. And I knew I was going to come out. So I thought, well, I better have a few classes under my belt. And so I got involved. Now I'll be really honest with you. It wasn't something that totally spoke to me right away. I went to a few classes and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the camaraderie, the other men. I enjoyed the physical nature of it, but like I wasn't bought into it. And I went to the jujitsu camp for a week enjoyed it to the degree that I could. And I went home and I got just busy, distracted. Uh, and then I ended up moving out here to Maine about a year later. So I took a year break of jujitsu and, uh, I got back into it when I moved here. Cause I trained with Pete and the rest of the origin team. And I love it, man. Like every opportunity I get and can, I train jujitsu because I realize it's what I need. You know, I need to be physical. I need somebody pushing back on me. I need to, be on the path to improvement. I need the feedback of you're not quite good enough yet, but I also value, you know, rolling with somebody and, and getting a sweep or getting a submission that you've never got before. I, I can't really articulate what it is, but it challenges me in a way that gives immediate and instant feedback. It keeps me physical and it keeps me engaged. So a lot of guys will say, you know, Ryan, I'm trying to improve my physical fitness. What's the best thing I should do? Whatever's going to engage you. If it's jujitsu, exactly. do jujitsu. If it's CrossFit, do CrossFit. If it's strength training, do strength training. If it's uh, the desire to run a marathon in three months and that's what's going to keep you engaged towards running, then do that. I don't care. It does not matter to me as long as it keeps you engaged. And jujitsu has proven over the past two and a half, almost three years now to be the thing that engages me better than anything in my entire life has. One well, the thing with jujitsu that I tell people is if you're not very flexible, jujitsu is going to prove that to you. If you're not very strong, jujitsu is going to prove that to you. If you're not explosive, if you're not any of those things, but also it teaches you resilience because the thing about it is, is you're always going to run into somebody that's better than you. You're going to run into somebody that's smaller, that can roll you up, that can sweep you. And even for black belts, like people don't really understand. They're like, Oh, I just want to get my black belts. Like 
Do you understand there's levels to that too? It's like, cause you know, you went white to blue to purple and you worked your way up. But when you get to black belt, that's not where it stops for a lot of people. That's where it starts. Like one of my good buddies, one of my main training partners just got his black belt recently. And it's just like, it's almost like he hit the reset button on his jujitsu life because now he's competing against dudes that have been black belts longer than he's been training. And so it's just, it's a lifelong resilience thing that a lot of guys really need to be a part of. So that's my commercial for jujitsu again. But Ryan, I know we're running up against time. We've talked about a lot of different things here. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. So you talked about, you, you know, people want to get their black belt. Well, that's wrong. Like, that's not the goal of jujitsu. Like, I, I want to have my black belt for sure. And I think you probably, how long you been training? About three or four years as well. I'm, I'm a blue belt about as well. Same amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, what are you, blue belt, purple belt? Where, where are you yeah. at in your? Blue belt, I've been training. It was four years this summer and I'm, yeah, still blue belt. My blue belt's uh, pretty raggedy though. Cool. Awesome. I love it. So like it, it isn't, the black belt isn't the goal. Now it'll happen. You know, if you, if you're in it long enough and you're diligent and you work like that, that will happen. That's just a natural and inevitable outcome, but it isn't the goal. What the goal is to go train tonight. The goal is to be better today than you were yesterday. And then if you stack enough of those together, then you're going to get your black belt, but the black belt isn't, isn't anything. It's, it's, it's a literal, it's literally a piece of dyed cotton. That's it. That's all it is. And so we get so focused on these goals and these objectives that we forget, man, I'm getting better. I'm improving. My business is growing. My, my relationship is better. Uh, my, my, the way that I look is, has improved. And, and so you talk about these things like being more, being stronger and being more explosive. All of those will happen through jujitsu, but also if you really cared about the path, whether it's jujitsu or painting or shooting or any number of things that you could choose, then you would also do outside things. So like, I don't rely on jujitsu to get me strong. I get strong so that it'll improve my jujitsu game. Right. Right. I don't, I don't rely on jujitsu to stretch me out. I stretch and that will make me a better uh, tacticianer when it comes to jujitsu, but it isn't the goal to get the black belt. That's just like an inevitable result of the real goal, which is to improve every single day and enjoy it and live it and be there present fully. And you might have a little bit of a uh, matte burn on your face, but Hey, that is just war paint, which means that you've done a good job that particular day. But Hey, yeah, I mean, you're probably sick like me, Kyle, and that you're a little bit of a, maybe a masochist where, you know, you have a, <laughs> a good, like a black eye or a good, like rash on your face, or, you know, maybe you got your finger caught in the gi. Do you train gi or no gi? Uh, mainly gi. Gi. So you get your finger caught in the gi and it gets twisted and you feel like it's going to break. Like this ring finger of mine just does not move anymore. Um, and I love it. I love it. I wish it moved. I wish it didn't hurt all the time, but also like when it hurts, I'm like, hell yeah, that means I'm doing something. That means I'm living my life fully that I'm trying to get better that I'm trying to improve. And if that means that I have a finger that doesn't quite work as well as it should, or as, as dexterous as it, maybe it should be, then that that's great. I'll take that all day long. Absolutely. Yeah. This thumb here has been uh, surgically reconstructed because of my love of jujitsu. And if you look at my face and don't like it, it's because my nose is crooked. That's also from jujitsu, but I wouldn't trade it for anything else. I'd rather do this than play a bunch more of a beer league softball. So, but anyway, man, that is all for me up to this point. We've talked about a lot of stuff. I'm sure we're going to do this again, but is there anything else you want to get off your chest? Anything else you want to get to our audience? Yeah. I would just say, turn the podcast off and get to work. I know that I know that sound Kyle's like cut that part out. No, I know I know no, that I believe it. 
I know that's a little counterintuitive for what you and I do, brother, because we're, we're podcasters. But you know what? Like, I'm so tired of people thinking they're moving the needle by listening to you or me. Um, you're not moving the needle. You're, you're thinking about moving the needle. You're preparing to move the needle. I mean, you can talk about a lot of things, but you're actually not moving the needle. So just hit end after Kyle gets through his finish here and, and just hit stop and then like put your phone down and go play baseball with your kids or um, go, go sell something in your business, like sell, just sell something in your business or go have sex with your wife or whatever, like do something and just use this as fodder to actually do something. This is not the result in and of itself. Like take this and then apply it and live a better life. That's all I would say. All right, Ryan Mickler, thank you for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you very much. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my time with Ryan Mickler as much as I did. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now at Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness. Specifically, we do that by providing content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got two links for you today. One is to the Order of Man podcast, so you can check that out and listen to it wherever you get your podcast. But also, I've got a link to his book, Sovereignty, The Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Men. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. We do appreciate it wherever you're listening to this. Please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, podcast to shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life that's info at undaunted.life follow us on instagram and tiktok and like us on facebook and you can check out our website for everything else including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way just go to www.undaunted.life and we also want to thank the band august burns red for allowing us to use their music for our content the intro outro track on this podcast is their song cutting the ties which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album leveler the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember Keep pushing back darkness. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.